go. Can, can you hear me there, Susan? Yes, I can. Oh, wow. Everything's working. What an amazing thing. I'm just loving this groovy song. The Trogs, right? Yeah. You know why I like this song is there's a, um, uh, there's a movie from the 90s, I think, called... Uh, oh, what was it? Oh my God, I can't remember it. Uh, it was a very, it was an early Nicole Kidman movie. Oh, what's it called? Um, it was about these two kids in Australia who fall in love. One's black, one's white. And it takes place in like 67 or 60, something like that. And they played the song in one of the scenes. And it's like, oh yeah, I forgot how much I like that song. Oh, it's called Flirting. That's the name of the movie. Oh, okay. I don't think I've seen that one. Yeah. I don't think so, but the, but the song is really groovy. It yeah. is. What opening uh, would you choose for the uh, for today? Oh, the non eth one. Oh, I know that we do that all the time, but you know. <laughs> okay, well, <laughs> but that that suits my idiom. Right? Yeah, me too. Yeah. I mean, I I made the the opening for a purpose, so I got to use it. You know, the the whole extraterrestrial thing is not uh, not a viable solution to this. We, we need to go f- through a turning point in the study of, of this whole domain, away from ideology. We're not here to prove that we're being visited by you know, aliens from this planet or that star. That may very well be true, but we have not done the basic work. I have this hunch that, the, um, that, this, that this phenomenon is... Um, comes from some sort of domain of pure information. And the fact that it can interact with us at all suggests that, uh, that we inhabit a domain that's also pure information. Are we uh, go conditioned here? Yes. in the future, for that is where you and I are going to spend the rest of our lives. And remember, my friend, future events such as these will affect you in the future. You are interested in the unknown, the mysterious, the unexplainable. That is why you are here. And now, for the first time, we are bringing to you the full story of what happened on that fateful day. We are giving you all the evidence based only on the secret testimony of the miserable souls who survived this terrifying ordeal. The incidents, the places. My friend, we cannot keep this a secret any longer. Let us punish the guilty. Let us reward the innocent. My friend, can your heart stand the shocking facts about Radio Mysterioso? That, that's enough of that. Oh, I can turn it down so uh, Susan doesn't get blasted out the uh, back of her room with, a, <laughs> with that noise. <laughs> oh, that's fun. I, I, I can never get enough of that stuff. That's good. It is, it is my favorite opening at the time. People keep saying, why don't you do another opening, you know, with uh, different things. That, 
if I have to make it sound like every other show opening where there's a big montage of all these sounds and people saying um, important sounding things, just like this one, and bits from movies and all that, I'm, I'm just not going to do it. I kind of like that I've stuck with my format of just a couple of important quotes from people I like, friends uh, here and not here anymore, and I think it's perfect that way. I think so, too. Yeah. And, and it's got Jacques. I mean, and he's got that beautiful accent. Yes. And it's just his words resonate. Uh-huh. You know, we, we haven't done all the work yet. And and it's as true today as it was when, you know, he wrote that seminal book, Passport to Magonia. It is, yeah. it is still true. We yeah. haven't done the work. Yeah, that's what I, um, that's one of the reasons I have it in there because there's, and some of the stuff I put in there, I've kind of, the, the meaning comes to me, um, on repeated plays, even though just, they're just these little snippets, like him saying, we not done the work. I specifically put that in there because I think when I talk to people on this show, like you, anybody on this show, we're trying to do that work in, in some small way, or at least get the, get the important work, uh, highlighted or inspire people to do it or whatever. And, um, uh, Mac Tony's is in there. And I didn't realize when I put that little piece in there about, uh, him saying that, uh, we inhabit a domain of pure information. He was talking about information theory 10 years ago. I just kind of stumbled onto it like a year ago. So wasn't he brilliant? Yeah. I mean, beyond, beyond his years, beyond that time frame. I remember when I first, uh, stumbled across the, the post human blues and, and it was just, it was so different than like the, the stuff he was talking about, the crypto terrestrials and that was just so different for that from that time frame than what anyone else was talking about. And I wish that at that time I would have, I would have been able to reach out more and, and have a dialogue with him that never happened. And I, I really feel bad about that because he had so many interesting and brilliant things to say. And we really need more people doing that, you know? I, yeah. I I think so. Like he was just he, he was just just one of those marvelous people that was just putting out these ideas that were so counter to everything else, and I love that a, yeah. a true rebel, a, a UFO rebel. Yes, uh, yes, the fact that he sort of left it and decided to kind of do his own thing, and le- he encouraged him and Paul Kimball encouraged me to get on Facebook in in two thousand eight or nine or whatever it was. And then, mm-hmm. and then um, Max said, uh, "I don't think this is a good thing," and he left it, um, like in 2010 or 11 or whatever. Um, mm-hmm. or I don't, I can't even remember how long he's not been with us. Oh no, he, that's after he, that's after he died. But um, yeah, yeah he, he was only on it for about a year. Where he just, and then he finally just said, "I don't think this is a good thing." This, like you said, way before anybody else noticed how insidious it got uh, or was getting. It- it is, and it's it's not like I mean there are there are good aspects to it, mm-hmm. but it isn't it is insidious, and it has really sort of changed the way people people deal with each other or how people socialize with each other, and and it's odd, and I think that we're all trying to sort of make it up as we go along, and um and and people can get very hurt, uh people cannot understand or misunderstand, and it, it is also very very addicting. You know, yes, it is. So, I know it is. I mean, I, I look at it when I go to sleep, usually, and, and usually when I wake up, I just want to see what people are saying. Um, and on top of that, if uh, if I ever had to stop using it, I don't know what I'd do to promo my show. Although I guess I'm getting the point where I almost don't care 
if the show is real popular or anything. It's just some people listen, the people that I want to listen, listen. Um, I get to talk to wonderful people like you, and um, that's why I do it. So maybe I don't care how much promo goes into it. I, I really don't. Um, but I, I'm still learning and having fun. So, you know, what, 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 el- what else is the point? Well, exactly. And there are a lot of good people that are on Facebook and, and, and certainly is a good way to like, just get out there and get the name out there and, and people will find it. I, I find that anyways, that people, uh, will find the right thing for them or the right bit of information when they need it. So people will also find the show. Yeah. That's another yeah. thing. I've got every once in a while, I'll get a note from somebody saying, oh, I heard that show. And, and, you know, it's uh, and it really spoke to me and it really is something I'd like to hear. And so I'll see where did the road go or Project Archivist or, or Banal or any number of an- other um, uh, shows that uh, I am friends with. that We kind of have the same subject matter. But instead of feeling like I'm in competition with them, which I it, it still comes up every once in a while, it's kind of more like I'm going to talk to who I want to. And if I get more listeners than somebody else, fine, if I don't. I shouldn't really care because I've said many times I just I do the show because I want to. I don't do it because all the other stuff is icing on the cake. So, well, yeah, and that's the thing. If you're doing something that you love and you've created something because it's something you would want to listen to or exactly. you would want to participate in, then by dint of that, you're going to be enjoying yourself. It's going to be more enjoyable for the listeners. And more people will follow in. And, it's, of course, it's archived as well. So people, people will have a chance to go back and find things. Just like, you know, we were talking about Mac Tonys. There might be people out there, newer researchers, that might not come across him. But they'd come across the show. And now they're thinking, oh, who's this guy? And, and what do they mean he's a UFO rebel and had this, this amazing thinking like 10 years before anyone else? And, mm-hmm. uh, and they might go find his stuff now. That's still out there on the internet, and, and there's the book that he had, and uh, and and that's a good thing, you yeah. know. He actually had two, I guess, major books. One was called After the Martian Apocalypse, which was mm-hmm. an examination of what evidence there was for an ancient civilization on Mars. Now, it's this is one of the reasons I admired him was that people ask me that haven't read the book, they say, so is he saying that people used to live on Mars? I said, no. He's saying there's a lot of curious things about the Martian surface and things that have been picked up by probe, I mean, uh, images that have been picked up that are anomalous or seemingly anomalous, and that's interesting. He didn't say, he didn't make the leap of faith or conclusion that there was um, some civilization that had been on Mars. He just said, look, if there was one there, what evidence is there for it? What might it look like? How does this conform to it? And it was basically a you know a big, big long thought experiment on an, in an entire book. And the second one, um, mm-hmm. uh, the Crypto Terrestrials, was the same thing. I think even the editor asked me, Patrick Quee, she said, "Do you think that Mac believed this?" And I said, "He didn't believe it, but he was interested. He wanted to look at look at the concept from as many angles as possible and see how it held up and what it what kind of discussions and thought it would engender." And that's interesting to me, not somebody that says, I've got the answer. I mean, if somebody's got the answer, you should run the other way. Or says they have the answer, you should run. <laughs> exactly. Then then they're a guru or a priest or something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Nobody, nobody has the answer. Not not yet. Maybe not ever. I don't know. I, I, I certainly don't think in our lifetime. But uh, but that that is a great approach, you know. 
Uh, and and it leaves us wide open to speculation. And maybe, maybe there was, there's some little kernel or vein of truth in there that we can, you know, latch on to and build other things or at least come up with better questions. Yeah, exactly. I'm trying to frame things as, and I think I've told you this before, as an understanding or a better understanding. Because if you say answer, you've already mm-hmm. locked yourself into, I'm going to get an answer and I'm on this you know, thing. And anything that doesn't conform to this answer I'm looking for is not useful. And you throw out so much of the, you know, so much of the bathwater <laughs> with that. Yes, exactly. And and one of the ideas I thought maybe for a future book would be to take one of these really well investigated sort of UFO cases and maybe take sort of three different, very different models and and examine it from those different points of view mm-hmm. and see if maybe at some point some of these things begin to converge. And, and again, it's all about better questions. And, and better ideas as opposed to just stagnating in the in the one thought that, oh, it's answered or it's answerable or we're waiting for someone to confirm our answers and uh, that we already have, which yeah. I don't think anyone does. Not really. Not at this point. No, yeah, we're honing. We're <laughs> honing them down. I was actually on <laughs> Facebook. Jim Clarkson said something about UFO research and how that uh, how the. Um, Witness is often saying things like, well, I know it's the U.S. military, or I know it's this, and I know it's that. And he said it makes it very difficult to gather information. And I had David Metcalf on a couple weeks ago on the show, and we were talking about, (laughs) I wrote down a bunch of things to talk about, and I don't think this is one of them, because I know you real well, and we should, we're just going to talk about whatever. Um, and if people want to come on the okay. Radio Mysterioso site, no, we'll, we'll we'll get to the things I sent you to. Well, we might. Who knows? Who cares? Let's um, see where this takes us. Yeah. But what what Jim was lamenting was that, uh, and he's been on the show too. I love uh, Jim Clarks, and he's 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 somebody that deserves respect because he's been sitting in the trenches doing this research forever, and now he's going mm-hmm. to he's gotten to the point where he said, "Hey, Mufon sucks, and I think maybe I'd better pursue this on my own," which I think is great. But he said that. Um, Witnesses are, they often give you these, uh, he didn't say any specific words, but they give you these subjective impressions or feelings or whatever. And I, I said, I think those are important. I am not sure how to quantify them. And this is what Dave Metcalf and I were talking about. And I think it's going to mm-hmm. be an ongoing conversation on this show with him and with guests. How do you quantify subjective experience so that it is useful data, you know? I would suggest uh, one of the areas that I'm interested in is examining the um, the symbolism within sort of like uh, if you sort of contemplate the uh, UFO experience as almost like a dream experience and then you look for the symbolic content within the experience itself. Often there there, there is some. If, but you have to be willing to talk to the witnesses and, and you have to also be willing to look at their circumstances and what's going on with them, what's going on perhaps in the greater context of, of the society and, and the world that they're living in in that period of time when they're, when they're having the experience. And then look at things such as the shape, such as the uh, – for instance, when the, uh, when the jellyfish were big, they, um, the, the, 
witnesses were describing these almost jellyfish, these biological looking type of very strange UFOs in the sky. I did think that perhaps maybe this was in response to um, concerns over the world's oceans. Uh, there was a lot at that time in, um, that, that the jellyfish were being reported uh, news in regards to people being worried about uh, the oceans being poisoned, uh, giant garbage flotillas in the Pacific, things mm-hmm. of that nature. And I thought, Perhaps this is the witness sort of um, plugging into maybe that greater uh, consciousness or human consciousness or maybe an alien other consciousness, maybe the ocean itself. And and this is sort of a symbolic way of um, having that experience and expressing that sort of anxiety or that concern. I, I'm just speculating here, but yeah. I, I just think that that's one way to to deal with the subjective is to look for symbolic sort of um, and then folkloric aspects, things of that nature. You can sort of quantify based on that. Yeah, because these message. This is almost sounding like a uh, discussion of contacteeism, which it maybe mm-hmm. kind of is. But you know, your brain is picking up things and try. Listen, my ideas. It's picking mm-hmm. up these things during a strange experience and trying to quantify them into something that makes sense to you what makes sense to you everything you've ever experienced and maybe some of these symbolic things have something to do with it i'm 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 certain they do um yes and i you know to get that quantify i mean to get those it's really hard to enter that data but you might be able you know uh, the way the data is entered now and where where you can do searches and and that you can look for phrases and words and maybe even concept and sort of cross-check that in some way i'm 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 so at the beginning of this and so you know dumb in the way that i i I think of it right now until i i talk to more people and think about it more but i think that would be an important direction for ufo study is quantifying qualitative data (laughs) yes of course it would be and 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 it is difficult because we are dealing with the subjective um and for the most part over the last say 70 years the the vast majority of ufology has been more concerned with you know the object or the physicality of the object than the one sort of as i say the one tangible thing in all of this and and within all these various paranormal experiences is the experience Mm-hmm. Is, yeah. is 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 the human being that's having the experience and then is going on to describe it or or relate it in, in in whatever fashion they're doing so, and you know another way we can look at it is how it affects them. Uh, that's something that has interested mm-hmm. me in in relation to um, because I, I've also tried to in more recent times explore UFOs through sort of the lenses of of a death or death experience, uh, and I know that in the eighties there was um, there was a university study done between um, UFO experience experience and people that were going through near-death experience and and how that sort of transformed them on a spiritual level. And they did find that in the case of people that went through near-death, they all had had similar sort of, um, when you strip away all the language, they had a similar sort of experience with sort of lights and, 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 and that sort of thing, very powerful. The people that went through the near-death it tended to have a more profound impact on their spirituality. Mm-hmm. But the UFO experience 
also to some degree had the same sort of, and some of them very profoundly. Um, but when they, when you're looking at them in general terms as, as like a population group, the, the NDE people were having more powerfully transformative experience, but the UFO people did as well. Um, maybe not as, as much as, as, but it was still there. I like would bet. They were being spiritually transformed. Right. I would bet, and I'm not trying to throw us off track here, but that the closer their perce- perceived, uh, uh, the closer they were to whatever they were perceiving, I bet the, the, the more heavily it impacted their inner life. Um, just proximity, or yes. at least their perceived proximity. I think so. I think so, and that's, um, I mean, I know that there's been uh, better sorts of uh, classification systems put out since Hynix, but for uh, lack of better one at the moment coming to my mind, we'll use Hynix, but as as they go up through that CE1, CE2, CE3, it seems to be that the more closer, like you said, the more closer the contact, the more interaction, mm-hmm. um, the, the more profound effect or the more transform transformational effect that has occurred. Sort of like a, I think Miguel used the words UFO alchemy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I agree with that. That's another thing I'm very interested in exploring. Um, and, and thanks to the work of Jacques Vallée, and there's another uh, scientist in France who is looking at the radioisotopes and how they're transforming these radioisotopes that are found at the uh, locations of these uh, alleged UFO landings or, or UFO contact. Um, from my perspective, I'm, I'm interested in how the, the witness has transformed mm-hmm. from before and afterwards, so that UFO alchemy that, that occurs. So, and, and, and it does it does. Same with the NDE people. So I'm interested in sort of the cross-correlation between the two. Yeah. Uh, when you say that, it's. Uh, I think Metcalf actually mentioned this too, David, a couple weeks ago. We were talking about... I love about, David's stuff. Yeah. I love David's stuff. Yeah. yeah, I knew I had to talk to him when he kept putting uh, posts up on Facebook. And I was going, oh, God, I got to talk to him about this. Oh, this too. Oh, this too. And so... Um, Eventually, uh, it led to us talking. I talked to him for about mm, probably two or three hours on Skype, and then and then within about a week we did the show. Um, but what he said and he pointed out was that between the late nineteenth and early twentieth century, some of the ideas that were informing even people, you know, all the way back to ancient Greece, but even up to people like uh, Isaac Newton and a few other Enlightenment scientists. They weren't thinking of science in the way we think of science. They were thinking of science in the way an alchemist thinks of science. Uh, yes. And he said even up to Marie Curie was um, was pursuing some of the same uh, what she was. Her philosophy, as Metcalf said, was more along the lines of an alchemist than a physicist or a chemist. Um, but it just happened to be pushing into areas that turned into 20th century science later. And that's kind of fascinating to me in light of the fact that um, suddenly people are mentioning and interested in these, whatever these artifacts are, quote unquote. And I'm glad you brought that up because now suddenly we've got alchemy popping into the, the picture again. Um, and we, yes. ju- we were talking about spiritual alchemy and th- this was, and it might be intimately connected as it was in the past to the so-called physical alchemy. 
Yes, and um, there well, there was the physical alchemy, but there was also um, in that time frame in the Middle Ages uh, the alchemy of where they were transforming their souls, where they were transforming their own spiritual self. Right. So there, there was you had two different two things going on, but I feel they converge, and I I feel yes. they converge in modern times as well. Mm-hmm. And to bor- I'm going to borrow a, a, a quote from our mutual friend Diana Pasulka, and that is there is a tide. And there's a tide in science and technology, and that tide is turned, or it's turning. And mm-hmm. I think we're living in very interesting times because there are other scientists. There's um, there's a brilliant scientist by the name of Dr. Julia Mossbridge. She's a neuroscientist, and she works for IONS, the um, Edgar Mitchell Group in in Petaluma, California. And uh, and she has talked about um, how you know how we, we we magical people we keep our magical diaries and we just note down everything. Well, scientists yeah. are taught to just you know make these sort of cold observations. But she is now uh, advocating more for to keeping a, a diary more like a magical diary, where you would the scientists would make these cold observations, but they would also observe how they were feeling, mm-hmm. what, how this inspired them. Right. So you're taking you're 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 synthing both of these sort of this sort of rational brain with the the creative mind and you're sort of smooshing them together and and this is this is where the scientific magic happens um and 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 if you look at if you look at all these nobel winners many of them uh they're also very creative people so they they're winning these science prizes that are in the, these hard sciences but in the meantime they're they're playing music they're musicians they're painters they're they're writing poetry they're doing other things that stimulate that other area of the mind to sort of come up with this brilliance right yeah. Yeah, like uh, Raiden, yeah. Uh, Dean Raiden is a, um, I think he plays um, bluegrass fiddle, I believe. Yeah. And uh, when I did, when I met him uh, in the mid-90s, uh, I thought, when I, after talking to him, here is somebody that is the perfect melding of an artist and a scientist in the same person, um, which happens a lot, but it doesn't happen to the degree where both speak to each other, inform each other, and those two parts of their brain, the, I don't know if it's the left and the right, whatever you want to call it, but those two parts of their brain um, complement each other in, uh, in the work that they do. Uh, yes. And that, that's, that's really rare. But I think hmm. that, the, the ri- that the rise of that kind of mindset might be part of what's happening, what you were saying about the, the tide turning that Diana said. Yes, and I and and I think that that's um, maybe it's not necessarily turning. Maybe it it, it it's turning publicly. Yes, exactly. Because it turned it, pri- it turned away from everybody's. Uh, it's been going on for quite a while now. I think. Yeah, I I do think so as well, and I think that that's what you find with these these really creative hypotheses that sort of push us and push our knowledge forward. Right. Yeah, and maybe the the prejudice against saying something that sounds really crazy mm. until somebody says, "Look, that sound not sounds nuts, but let's look at the merits of this approach instead of saying that doesn't fit in with what we should be studying." Um, I think uh, people and people in positions of power, uh, and in, in in you know in government and in the private industry, academia are all saying let's let's soften our position here and see if something useful can come out of things that previously sounded uh that were off limits. Yes. Taboo. 
exactly. <laughs> and that's going to change things so radically, I think, that we, we will not be able to recognize if, if it's successful and it works, which I think it will. Um, the, the change of the last 20 years will probably have, when it, when it really hooks in, it'll probably happen in a couple of years and flip everybody's worldview very quickly. The, the public world of this will take a while to glacially change, but it's going to change pretty fast. It's kind of, it's almost frightening, but it's exciting too. I hope we can get to that point. <laughs> I, I hope we can too, but then I question what happens when we try to normalize the sacred? Mm. And, and, will, and will, the, will the phenomena change? Will it, and has it already changed? I think it will, yeah. It always does. Whenever you, whenever you get close, it kind of says, oh, you thought you knew what was going on? No, 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 no. And suddenly you see a different aspect of it that you didn't know before. And, you know, this has been said before. It might be an aspect of us trying to lead us, or maybe it's something being pulled from the future. I don't know what it is, but I think it's, there's a, a lot of ways you could, you could model it as being directed from somewhere. Yes. Uh, it certainly seems to be interacting, uh, whatever it is. I mean, it, at, at the base level, I think if, if we just consider that it's, it's being generated by human beings and that we're somehow interacting with a greater human consciousness, mm -hmm. uh, it's still, it's, it's still beyond, you know, it's still something other than, than the normal reality that we sort of experience yeah. every day. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, I, I just I think it's it's one step ahead, so to speak, and that it may already. Um, I, I noticed recently with these uh, these numbers coming out of France that the uh, the UFOs seem to be on the decline, at least there. Mm -hmm. That um, that maybe the the phenomenon is already changing, already morphed into something else. Yeah I, I, yeah, I consider that it's the ghost now in the machine. Um, <laughs> yeah, I've I've tried to 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 provoke it. I've been working on different sort of techniques in the last few years in, in, in invoking it and provoking it, and I've tried to do that as well with the um, the internet and and had some interesting results, but they also became rather dark. And that seems to I, happen a lot. Yeah, really John Keel kind of stuff that so I, I don't know if I want to pursue that too much more at least with the the internet but um Yeah, in, in, it, go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. In regards that I, I was doing things uh, to sort of provo to provoke sort of communications or, or interaction, where I would get some results, for instance, that would go beyond normal algorithms or ideas of, say, you know, keyword mapping. So, say for instance, you're typing something in, and then you might get a few days later, you might get spam that's related to something you were typing into the internet. And you, you could think, oh wow, it's magic, but I mean, this is keyword mapping, or yeah. there could be algorithms. No, this would be things like I would think of something I would write it down on a piece of paper I would not I would try to forget about it and not contemplate it and then I would maybe ask a question as an example and then I would get something very strange coming out of either social media or whatever some piece of, of information that almost would relate uh, in a synchronistic way as an answer uh, things of that nature mm -hmm. but sometimes they it, it would get sort of dark like you would have these sort of dark synchronicities that were not very pleasant so um, yeah. I think yeah. it takes a certain mindset to be able to pursue that if you're going to pursue it. Um, but it also, that mindset also tells you when it's, uh, time to, to back off or get some help or whatever, you know? Um, it's funny. You, you read the mind of one of the listeners. Jeff's asked, um, does, uh, 
does Susan think it might be? He said Ms. St. Clair. Uh, think it might be fruitful. <laughs> Demeter St. Clair. Think it might be fruitful to establish protocols for self-directed contact and, multi- and a multidisciplinary team of experts to ensure safety and analyze data. I see parallels between her work and Ritzman's. Yes, I do. I, I think that protocols should be established because you can literally go mad. I believe you could go mad. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and certainly your psyche could become deconstructed, your, your family life, your, I mean, you hear of these things happening. Yes. People that, that really go chasing after the UF. Not everybody, but with some people, no, some they people become back a, off or whatever. They, they, or if the, some people, bait is placed before them and they keep taking that bait and that starts a recursive loop. I believe. Yes, which can be very harmful. Mm-hmm. It, it can be, and, and, and it can have all sorts of outward sort of negative impact and, and to people around the, the person who is pursuing it. So I do believe there should be protocols for this. I try to, when I do this sort of thing, I personally try to look at it at, with as least amount of motion as possible. Right. So in, in this way, you would be looking at it with an un, trying to be unbiased, mm-hmm. trying to to examine it coldly as a scientist might do. But even then, that's not necessarily an easy task. So, yes, no. there should there should be protocols to this work. Yeah, because a and lot. Yes, of, I, 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 I yes, I am doing a lot of similar things to Jeff Ritzman's stuff. Uh-huh. It would be interesting if that kind. Of, do you think that kind of stuff is? It would be fruitful to. What? To make that uh, information public so anybody could try it? Or do you think that's not a good idea? I believe that uh, it, it should be made available to people, and but with a lot of caveats. Right, exactly. Yeah, I, yeah. I feel the same way as you. It's uh, When Jeff was on the show and he started talking about this, he kind of, the first time he was on, he kind of de-emphasized it and... It sort of petered out at the end of the show. So the next show, I said, I said, Jeff, we are going to bring this up and we are going to talk about it. And we're going to tell people what you think, what you've done and what you think should be done. And we did that. And it took us an hour of uh, actually an hour and a half of dancing around it to finally get to the meat of it, which shows you how careful and how I don't know about dangerous, but um, um, serious he thinks this is if you really want to get involved with it. I'm not sure if I do. I have no idea. I think it'll just happen by accident as I kind of ease myself into the hot water and see what happens. But, which I have before, what I, you know, what I said to him when I said on the show is, look, we're adults. We're listening to this stuff. We, I've, I've got a high opinion of my audience. If they're going to do something crazy, I think they're going to know that they're stepping into something crazy and that they would have the wherewithal and the sanity to say, look, this is getting to the point where I don't like it. I'm going to back off for a minute or... Go do something else. Jeff's uh, advice was great. Go do some normal thing on a regular schedule for a while. Yes, and that's exactly what I do as well. I I view it as grounding myself, grounding myself into this reality. And I I will. I'll just, you know, I might do this for a while and then I'll just go out and buy shoes or something. (laughs) You know, I I like shoes. So... (laughs) Or, you know, just just normal things, normal sort of, you know. Yeah, I'll, exactly. I'll go watch YouTube and learn some new recipes or something. There's something that's so, so mundane and different that it um, 
it, it pulls you out of that sort of mindset that when you're hooked into into the whole UFO thing. I've, I've recently I talked to someone who was saying, you know, between work and and that they they spend 18 hours a day in analyzing UFO videos, uh. and I and I thought that, that that's that's obsession. I, I have to be polite, you know, but I I, I mean that's obsessive. 18 yeah. hours, like every free moment, you're not sleeping. You're thinking UFOs. This is this is not good. You know, I, I applaud that in one sense, but in another sense, that that is a lot. And then you have to think to yourself, how is this affecting the the family? How is this affecting people around this person? And you right. know, are yeah. they going to be able to pull away at any given time? Yeah, I mean, your your hobbies should not be UFOs, and that's it. If you're into UFOs, because you that 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 I think that's a that's a dangerous brew. Um, for myself, I and it's funny, I don't do, go do something mundane. I I I try to go and do something fun, like um, like paragliding. For some reason, that takes my mind completely off everything else, and it's a really good reset. That's good because all that I'm thinking good. about at that point is um, concentrating on what I'm doing because. I don't want to crash or run into anything or into anybody else. And then on the other hand, I'm really, really happy while it's happening. Um, so that mindset, I think, what did uh, Wilbur Orville Wright said? If you can imagine complete co- concentration and complete exhilaration at the same time, which is a really tough thing to, to imagine that you could do. But I think that's a really good, that, that discipline for me really clears my mind out when it starts to get too obsessive with something. Well, yeah, because you you have to be in that moment. You have to live that crash, right? So, I mean, you have to live that moment. But it's a great way to meditate, too, because you're sort of like, I I would envision it as sort of stripping away all this stuff and you're like, you're free, right? Yeah, you're completely in the moment and you're only thinking about one thing the whole time. Yeah. Which you're forced to meditate, actually. Um, You're floating in the air, which is a wonderful thing. But you're also going, you know, where am I going to go next? Where's the wind coming from? Where's that other person? Oh, that's a wonderful view. You know, is my landing zone still there? And all this stuff's going through your head while you're going, oh, my God, I'm flying. So (laughs) (laughs) and these two things are going through your mind constantly for the whole time that you're in the air. And I mean, flying an airplane, too, which is even more labor and, and not labor, but mentally intensive. So, yeah, those are that that that's a discipline. Maybe if you have a um artistic pursuit or a martial art or something like that that would also help i think so and also finding like supportive people that are around you that maybe understand so like doing doing small group type projects i did a group project um recently i can talk a little bit about it because it's it's run its course now yeah uh, but it was uh, the idea was to use techniques such as meditation and RV with a group of seven people that were very loosely connected but very different backgrounds. Mm-hmm. Um, sort of the idea was to follow along the um, the work of uh, uh, ARG Owen, who is a fellow uh, parapsychologist who at the time was living in Toronto with his wife, and they created something called the Philip Phenomena. Right, and what the what the Philip phenomena was for anyone listening that might not be familiar with it is what they had proposed is that human beings will create ghosts or poltergeist activity. And they wanted to prove that by bringing together a group of very diverse, but highly creative people to create a fictional story of a ghost and see if through sort of a seance 
type participation, they could manifest the ghost or at least some sort of ghostly uh, sort of things like raps and things like that. Mm -hmm. They did manage to get some interesting sort of paranormal sort of psychokinesis type stuff happening. And um, I was always very sort of interested in that, but because my, my real true love is the UFOs, I kind of wanted to do it as a UFO experiment. So I recently did one. I, I wanted to do it as a gray alien, but there was a lot of ethical questions right, around exactly. that. Uh, more so than a ghost. Uh, you, you don't want to bring together a group of people and then maybe create the situation where, you know, maybe five years later they have a gray appearing in their bedroom or side. I don't want anything like that happening. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm always very, when I do these things, I'm always very sort of aware of the fact that I'm dealing with other people and their mm -hmm. psychological feelings. And I don't want to ever be in a position where I I've harmed somebody, yep. but, um, but anyways, I, I thought we could, a UFO is, is sort of different because it's like an object in the sky. So we, what we did is we took, um, seven locations. They were not known to me because I was, um, do a part of the the experiment. I was sort of like a sort of put the experiment together and we had like a secret Facebook group where we would meet and we had these um seven locations. Six of them were known UFO hotspots. One of them was not. It was just picked randomly by someone else. Had these sort of put into a like a black velvet bag and I had just because I'm quirky, I had someone who was outside of the group actually pick out one of these locations that was a UFO experience himself, didn't tell him what was going on. And we just have that sort of relationship where he just didn't ask. Yeah. And he, you know, you're doing an experiment. Okay. Uh, so, and then all of this was given to yet another person who had nothing to do with the experience, like the experiment at all, but sort of, so that all went away with him. So that way I didn't know what was picked, what was our target location, right. nor, the uh, the what was going on so that was done and over the course of um several months we sort of loosely without any really sort of rules or anything like that sort of uh impromptu got together did meditations did rvs uh we started describing the, the location um I was also doing some other work, which is still ongoing, which is writing sort of fictional narrative about UFOs uh, that is in a specific location. Hmm. Um, and, and it's interesting because neither of these two groups of people knew what was going on. I was the only thread that sort of tied them together. And yet the, the groups started having synchronicities with each other and with these locations. Well, with the, with the one uh, location, um, there was a UFO event that happened um, in September of this past year. Uh, but I let the, the experiment run until December and then sort of pulled the plug on it and found out where the location was. The location did have a UFO, a major UFO event that was documented above all places on Facebook <laughs> in September. Yep. And uh, and I felt that perhaps that it was our experiment that that created that because as soon as I saw the coordinates, uh, they were all logged as geo coordinates. As soon as I saw the coordinates, I knew exactly what the location was, and mm -hmm. I thought this is the same location where we are writing the narrative for because in that location, like in that experiment, that location was known because we're writing a fictional narrative yeah. in a UFO hotspot, and it's the same one. 
So synchronicities within synchronicities within synchronicities. So this isn't really exactly scientific, but it leads me to believe that, yes, that maybe perhaps a group of very focused individuals who are creative and open and like to play more or less uh, can perhaps create a UFO experience in the outer world. Mm-hmm. Just doing this sort of magical type technique. Uh, and it's worth further exploration. So I plan, to do, I plan to do more and with different people. Yeah, with a and a, maybe a slightly different protocol and all that. I, the, yeah. the one thing I and this is excellent, and I, I hope you're going to write it up at some point. I it will be in a book eventually. Okay. Yes. So with all with all the with the locations divulged and all the information, I kept right. a very detailed notebook. And much like that sort of we were talking about the the scientists, there was all the unbiased sort of stuff, and then there and you know the methodology, or we did it on this day, and and this is how and this was what was going on, and and with these different people and but there was also observations such as our feelings and how we were feeling and often the group members would start feeling the same way if one was down they'd notice all were down or mm-hmm. yeah, it was interesting how they they all sort of came together that way and they none of them really knew each other i was the only common thread yeah and well some, that's was, that's that's, yeah, there, that's an excellent way to go about it you you can't have a you can see that the there is not some sort of um, queuing going on between people who know each other who are going to talk about it. Yes. Another thing so, I thought of when... Go ahead, I'm sorry. Oh, no, you go ahead. Another thing I thought of when you were doing this is that your modeling of how things happen might be changing, whereas you do, you can either say that I ca- we caused this or there was an interaction between us and reality or whatever it was, and there was a retrocausal thing going on where the time didn't matter anymore or it was backwards or, you know, the... Uh, what You know what I'm getting at. I'm, I'm not real good with the yes. uh, language right now, but the whereby um, you skipped a... Uh, where, where a cause would come before an effect. All right, I'm yes, sorry, an effect... Uh, yeah, exactly. The, the cause would come before an effect... And modeling it that way might be an interesting way to to um, to report on it, to write write the uh, write the history of it, and look and look at it through that lens. I think so. And there is um, there's a, an interesting uh, physicist who wrote this book. His name is Philip Guimont, and he wrote this book called The Road to Time, and it's all about that retro causality. And it's interesting. I came across this because I had um, I had written to Jacques Vallée in 2014 about some other different ideas that I had, and I was just I was really surprised when he he actually took the time to write me back in this beautiful handwritten script. I have these letters from Jacques Vallée, and he actually uh, sort of um, put me towards this direction. And he was saying, you know, I. I Really, I'm only guessing, but uh, you, you'd be interested in this person's work. And he was talking about synchronicities. And synchronicities, in my opinion, are very, very important. Well, they are magic, for one, and they are very important to the UFO phenomena. Mm-hmm. I think I told you this. Um, when I did the talk in, at uh, UFO Congress last year, at the end of the talk... Um, People are saying, well, you want all these things to change, but you haven't suggested anything people can do. And the reason was I thought it was I was kind of, you know, it's like it's a baby step thing. I can't, you know, come out and say what I'm thinking and, and you know, embryonic ideas I have, um, such mm-hmm. as uh, I'm talking to you about right now. These weren't even developed back then, really. 
Um, but I said, well, maybe something, you know, what people saying, what could you try? You know, what, what do you, do you have a suggestion? And I said, I don't know, maybe something like divination. And I think I've said this before on my show. I got a round of applause, which really, it kind of startled me. Yeah, it's, it's, I, I, I don't know why it startled you. I think it's, it's exciting. Yeah. Like well, it's, it's, it's something different. It's because we were, we, we've been stuck in just sort of this, this one sort of trick pony as to, okay, it's, it looks like an alien, therefore it is an alien and it's aliens. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, and I think that people deep down and, 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 and it's the experts that are telling us it's alien. It's not really the witnesses. Most of the witnesses that I have talked to, even ones with very, very strange, like real high strangeness sort of stuff, they're usually very neutral about the cause. Mm-hmm. Well, they, they don't really know. Um, where they'll say they, they think it might be something, but they're not 100% sure. And it's, it's, it's the uh, certain investigators that are married to a specific dogma about UFOs that really start reinforcing it into their minds that, oh, well, it must have been this or this, you know, which is yeah, usually that, ET. And, that feedback loop. And, and in that, it really, it's not satisfying for people. It's, it's not because it's, it's, yeah, because it doesn't fit in that box that they're trying to force it in. And people are going, no, 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 that's not what happened to me. Well, if you want to keep talking to me, this is what we're going to talk about. And in a gradual way, since they're looking for meaning, um, yes. it, can be, it can be shoved into this box that it didn't fit into in the first place. And that, that's all they have after a while because they've forgotten the richness of it. Exactly. And, and often people will try to they they won't give the full details i find that i can i can take a very basic report and usually if i go and talk to somebody and i'm sitting with them and having a cup of coffee with them i'm going to get more of a richer sort of feedback than i would if i'm even just talking to them online because there there's that trust issue and when i let people know that you know what i've had these experiences too i'm in no position to judge you at mm-hmm, all or what mm-hmm. what you even if they tell me it's aliens well i'm not in i'm not in a position to say no it's not right cuz maybe it is yeah but at the same point then then usually you get a much more richer description and sometimes even more sort of experiences such as you know i grew up in a haunted house and then I went on to see this amazing thing in the sky or I saw this amazing thing in the sky. And then, you know, uh, years later, I started having all this poltergeist stuff. And usually it's not years. Usually it's like within weeks or months or something. But they'll go on to describe all sorts of other sort of experiences that are very rich and 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 really just demonstrate that this is this is a complex thing, you know? Yeah, I like it's it's. I never thought I wanted to be, you know, a field investigator or anything like that. But as things go, as as time goes on, I kind of want to go out and start talking to people right after they've seen something and just say, hi, write down what you saw and draw me a picture if you can. And then shut up. Yes. You know, and if they say, well, what do you think it is? I would say, I don't know. I wasn't there. You please tell me. Exactly, and don't hold back any details. Yeah, and if you, I, I will not be shocked, embarrassed, make fun of, or anything that you might say. I don't care. And you know, I'll give them an example, like you know, like the woman that saw the plaid, giant plaid rabbit sitting in her front in her front yard when she drove up after seeing something follow her car. These little orbs, something like that. Mm-hmm. That to me is interesting, um, and 
um, part of the narrative. And I've almost got to be careful. I don't put my narrative on it. The funny thing was, in that case, the um, the, uh, the 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 that that uh, case with the plaid rabbit happened on Navajo land in a town called Loop L E U P P, which is very close to the Latin word for rabbit, which is lepus. Yes. <laughs> so and the. And the rabbit is a trickster. Yes, exactly. You know, he's the rabbits are tricksters. So there's all sorts of things, the symbolic content that we can start looking at. And yeah. to me, the rabbit is more interesting than the, than the little light balls. The little yeah. light balls are kind of mundane at this point. But the, the rabbit, now that's that's something cool. Yeah. Um, it was a big and, one, too. She said it was like three or four feet tall, and its fur was plaid-colored. Now that's weird. Yeah, I I love so that. This, I love that because I think that is something that should be entered into the the database um and compared against other things and people can look at it symbolically and maybe you can talk to the person and say, you know, is there anything else you would like to tell us about the uh, investigator that told me the story from Mufon said he thought that was just a silly thing that he shouldn't really pay attention to. Like, what? I think that's probably one of the most important things that happened in that case. I agree with you. That's exactly what they should be concentrating on. And it's these sort of these these bits that they, they seem on the surface that ridiculous, right? That maybe you have to wonder, is this is this little that little add on rabbit keeping this whole thing uh, absurd, keeping the phenomena liminal? Yeah. I mean, is is that why these things occur or is it is it a sim- symbolism? Is it is symbolic to whatever was going on in that time? And like you said, in the town. Yeah, and is it is it symbolic to the person, the family? What's going on in the family? What's going on in the town? You know, have this, has there been a you know recent sightings of rabbits everywhere? And then you can go to the researcher and find out how it is affecting the researcher, whoever that might happen to be. As long as they keep an open mind about it, doesn't doesn't say aha, this means this and this and this and this and this and this is what this is what it means and that's what it means forever. No. But yeah, the, those symbols are going to interact with the with the with the researcher and any person that they talk to as well. Yes. So I mean, these are all these are all things that can be examined and looked at as well, as part of a, a deeper trying to get a deeper understanding of the experience. Yeah. Yeah, I I would hope so. These uh, these things, I, I, there's so many. You talk to a, a researcher and they have so many details that they're like, oh well, you know, that's not really important. It's really silly, and we don't want to talk about that. And it's I think that's changing. It's definitely changing. So. Um, maybe I'll maybe I'll get the largesse of other people that have the same attitude where they don't filter things anymore. And the other and thing, that's a good thing. Yeah, the other thing might happen is you think of that uh, that um, the guy Dale Spar that uh, I can't remember. I think it was in Ohio in the 1960s. He chased a UFO and then um, uh, he he chased it in his police car. Uh, he told people about it. He was the only person in the police force that really talked about it afterwards because it was a very um, uh, significant thing to him and he lost his marriage he lost his job he lost his sanity and then he had to go work in a factory or a mine or something he was killed in a, in a an equipment accident um that but, is so sad yeah and the thing is i think that if he was allowed to say what he wanted to say so he can get it mm-hmm. off his chest and and deal with it in his own way that's the, I think that the you know his life probably wouldn't have fallen apart quite so much I the, you know um, 
partly it, it broke up his psyche, but also I think it, it affected the people around him. It's, they, they got scared and they backed off. He had nobody to turn to. Which is, is very sad, and, and that is why it is, it is good that we seem to be going into some sort of scientific renaissance. Let's, let's hope this really sticks in that um, people will be free to talk and not judged you know, or, or humiliated because of these experiences, no matter how bizarre or absurd they get. Yeah. I, I do say that, um, and I've also said this before, that I'm, when you're at, I don't know if you've noticed this, I'm, I'm, I'm sure you have, but I'll be signing books at a, you know, if I speak, which mm-hmm. I love doing because I get to meet people and hang out with my friends and all that. But the, the, one of the nicest parts of these things, strangest and nicest, is people come up to you and they just tell you what happened. They say, well, one time I had this thing happen to me and I sit and listen to them. They don't say what happened, what what am I supposed to think. They just say thank you and walk away. They just wanted somebody to listen to them without making a judgment call, I, I think, in yes. a lot of cases. And that, that for some reason, the, the the fact that they don't really particularly care what I think about it, they just wanted to tell me, is that makes me actually pretty happy. Yes, and it and it is significant, too, because you're allowing people to to voice these things and then they can they can walk away from it then maybe maybe they can or at they, least uh, at least leave feeling better maybe about the experience that I would hope so yeah or you know integrate it so they don't sit there for the rest of their life going you know what the hell happened what does this mean why didn't my parents church school my friends my whoever tell me about this or listen to me or explain this or whatever because it makes you feel like an out, at least in the past, it's made people feel like complete outsiders. And yes, if people don't feel like outsiders when they have a weird experience, I bet the experience will start to change. The experiences people have will be different when they're accepted in the way that you're saying you think that it's ch- it's changing now. I think that that'll be recursive with the with the phenomena when people stop thinking it's so weird. Maybe it'll be even weirder. It'll go into an area that makes no sense whatsoever when we try to accept it. <laughs> yes, because you again, we're getting back to the idea of normalizing the sacred. What, what is yeah. what is the phenomena's response going to be to this normalization? But I do. I am. I am a, very much a proponent of 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 trying to leave people feeling better, uh, feeling more positive. Uh, so I'm very careful with the language I use when I talk to people about their experiences. I don't want to be in a position where I'm re-traumatizing someone who may be traumatized. Mm-hmm. Um, people do actually have very negative experiences. They suffer very much so uh, post-traumatic stress disorder, and that can't be minimized. Uh, and, and that's another one of my concerns is, is that people find appropriate and proper help uh, likely outside of the UFO community when they are dealing just specifically, no matter what what caused it or triggered it, but mm-hmm. the fact that they are suffering uh, stress disorders because of these, some of the more negative things that, that occur that people perceive to be very negative. Yeah. Do you uh, try to help these people or do you say, look, here is somebody you can talk to. If you just want to talk to me, that's fine. But if you want somebody to really get into it, with you in depth, do you have people that, that you refer people to if they're still having problems? 
Yes, I do. And oh, they are and they are outside of the UFO community because I feel that it's important that when someone goes and seeks therapy that they're not necessarily having that person's views being put on that interpretation onto that experience. So it doesn't matter what the therapist feels actually happened. That's irrelevant. It's mm-hmm. it's dealing it's 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 allowing to put somebody into a space or a mind space where they can cope with the experience. It's it's just like any other trauma that has happened that that people need that sort of therapy and I am not a trained therapist I'm not a psychologist therefore I'm not qualified to do that type of work with people I can just listen like a friend and yeah. and somebody who can say yes you know what I had really weird experiences too from the point of being a child to even to this day uh so I can relate and understand to you on that level definitely but I, I'm not a therapist, so I, I do. When I see someone is not coping well, and sometimes, and I will obviously, I try to talk to other family members uh, when I'm talking to someone who is a contactee or an abductee. Then, if they're saying, if the family member saying this person's not really doing too well, I might just say, okay, you might want to consider talking to this person or that person outside of UFOs. Yeah. Do you ever have problems? They go, oh no, no, I don't want to go see a shrink. Is, do people get kind of worried or their families get worried when they think they have to go get some help? Um, sometimes, but I'm, I'm quick to point out I don't think people need shrinks. I don't think that the person that's having a UFO experience well, in general is not I mean, that's not a, what is, they're going to call them. Yes, but, but there's, I, I then can explain that, no, there's a big difference between psychological help and, and emotional sort of counseling mm-hmm. and therapy um, versus psychiatric, which is a, psychiatric is a, is a medical thing. It's, it's a medical disorder. Right. And, and, and people, in, and I try to make people feel better by saying that, you know, in general, and people are crazy, they don't really realize they're crazy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so if you're, if you're questioning your sanity, the, the, the odds are you're a sane person. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, and, and most UFO experience are, they do that. They're sort of like, whoa, like, I, I can't believe this really happened. And, you know, am I crazy? Well, no, because you're questioning. <laughs> yeah. Robert, our friend, Robert, uh, Brandstetter, who, um, we hung out with when I was with you guys in Toronto, he said that, um, he had a friend that was um, what a sort of uh, schizophrenic, either borderline or was schizophrenic. Um, mm-hmm. And he said, in the course of a night, he basically sat with him and asked him, "What made you think that?" or "Can you explain that to me?" And the guy talked himself out. He talked therapied himself out of it, almost in a night, just saying, "Oh, I can see where I'm getting these ideas from, and that they don't actually make sense to anybody but me, and that it might be." do me well to kind of be circumspect about it rather than think that these things are all absolutely real for everybody. And if they're not, that's okay. That kind mm-hmm. of thing, that kind of talk therapy with people, which you can do with a friend. I mean, you don't even yes. have to go to a therapist, but is that something you might ask somebody? Do you have somebody you know that you trust that isn't going to be judgmental and just go and talk to them about it? Yes. And I think that the vast majority uh, for people that that's all they really need is just uh, just a friend, just someone that they can confide in. But uh, what I was mentioning is in those cases where people are suffering real trauma, where it's affecting their daily life, Mm -hmm. where they can't stop thinking about the UFO, where they might be frightened to be alone anymore, whether they're unable to work or cope or things of that nature. That is on the far end of the very negative uh, impact that some of these experiences have 
thankfully most people don't have that. Most people have somewhere in between or they there a lot of people have very positive experiences. But for the ones that suffer serious trauma, uh, they have to be looked at as if they, you know, as if it's any kind of a trauma. If they're not if if it's impacting them that negatively, then they need appropriate help. Do you think that uh, and I've talked about a f- to a few people about this about um if you're going to take somebody's testimony down about something happened to, that happened to them, if you want to find anything about out about it at all in any kind of depth, if it is that kind of an experience, that you kind of have to become a friend and confidant for a while, and it's hard to keep your, uh, what, your clinical distance on it or whatever when you do that. But it's a, ver- it's a very special talent that I think an investigator should have to be somebody's you know confessor and friend and yet still be able to take these experiences and what they're told and all that and uh, use it as data and, and enter it into the you know into the literature and everything a researcher does do you think that there should be more of those kind of people and, and if you know where would they come from how would we find out those kind of people that- I, I think I think that just in some cases it's it's it comes from the the investigator themselves. I I am a very I try to be a very warm person. I believe in a very holistic sort of approach to people, um, and and I don't want to just leave people feeling I I, I just. If I if I come across somebody, whether it's it's through parapsychology or it's through UFOs, and I feel that they they just they're not doing too well, then yeah, I would rather leave them with some some. I would rather leave them feeling better than when I just came to get this data from them and leave them as they are. So yeah. if I can, I will try to to suggest things. I will just listen to them. Um, you know, I think that that is the best approach, personally. Yeah, is is that sort of holistic, sort of more encompassing than just I'm going to take the data and leave you, or you know, if if I'm an investigator and you contact me and your stuff is beyond my scope, I'm just not going to answer you. Um, that's hap- that happens as well, mm-hmm. and 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 I think that that's sort of wrong because if we if we put ourselves out there, if we sort of you know make it known that we're taking in your reports or we want to talk to you, then we should listen first of all without judgment and secondly if if we can leave that person better off um whether it's just listening to them uh and and letting them know that they're not alone uh or or maybe making suggestions towards like i said therapy or something of that nature if if they do seem to be not coping well um then that's a better space to leave them than just give me your report and data and goodbye I'm yeah. just that's just me as a human being. Yeah. Yeah. If you leave the person feeling a better a little bit better about things than when they first came to you, then that should be enough actually. It should be because you're putting out a little, that little bit of kindness into the world and the world can be a very dark and scary place with, without UFOs. Just in general, this reality that we're kind of all living together. Mm-hmm. I I would rather put a little bit of kindness back into it. Um, than just leave people sort of, you know, I, I've there, like there is you you do have to remain somewhat professionally yeah. distant, but at the same time, you can also be compassionate and kind with people, right? And understand that these experiences leave, in some cases, a very profound and deep change and deep, you know, sometimes people their entire cosmology changes their worldview. 
you know, and mm-hmm. it, and this this can be very liberating and enlightening. It can also be very frightening. So, if we want their stories, if we want to, if we want to sort of understand even a little what they went through, then then we have to be kind. Yeah, that's. Uh, I think that's the takeaway from this uh, part of the interview. Is if you're going to be talking to UFOs, uh, percipients, witnesses, whatever you want to call it, uh, I think the first thing is to be compassionate and kind. Um, and then everything else would be uh, subservient to that, even if you don't get what you quote unquote want from them, um, mm-hmm. because that who else who the hell else are they going to talk to? Do you realize we've been talking for over an hour and we haven't got to any of the questions that I sent you? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, why don't you pick one out? Hmm. We talked about the attitudes and um, the view of. Strange subjects. What do you want to off 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 um, off schedule subjects, and how those are now seen maybe not so much as uh, things that we should be scared of by uh, media, academia, and um, and the scientific community. Who do you think might be leading that charge? Meaning, if somebody's listening to this show and they say, "Well, that's all well and good," but who are these people, and who should I listen to? And if I want to get a grounding in, um. A good grounding in a uh, somebody who's a a good thinker and um, has a has a good grounding in classical science history, whatever you want to call it. Um, who would you uh, look to as proponents of that? People that, that where people should check out their work. Oh gosh, there's so many. I know. Um, <laughs> in specific to UFOs or in specific to science in general. If we're if we're going to talk. Okay, if we're going to talk specifically sort of science and and sort of consciousness, um, contemporary Massimo Teodorani, look at his stuff. He does have a book out in English, um, but look at his stuff. Um, He has a lot of books in Italian that I hope will one day be translated over uh, to English. But he sort of is um, an astrophysicist that's leading that charge towards being grounded in science, yes, but... Also, adding in creativity, mm-hmm. um, he's an electronic musician, which I find very interesting that mm, you have well a, an astrophys- astrophysicist yeah. that's, that's like playing synths. Yeah. And, uh, and I, I find his work and his ideas really inspiring and fascinating on that level of let's consider consciousness as the, the next frontier to be looking at. So looking from the outward into the inward and sort of... Um, that I would say him, Jacques Vallée, absolutely so excited about his work with the isotopes, mm-hmm. um, and and the fact that you know they're finding these radio isotopes and they're they're not really you know they're transforming, so they're they're not really terrestrial, but they're not really extraterrestrial either. Yeah. So. That's kind of really groovy and interesting stuff. Um, again, getting back to the consciousness, uh, Julia Mossbridge is a neuroscientist. I would really highly suggest uh, her work. Um, I, I'm very interested in, in our mutual friend, uh, Revelations, uh, Diana Pasulka's American Cosmic Mm-hmm. That's coming out. Um, I, I want to find out exactly what what uh, was going on there in Silicon Valley, uh, and what they were inspired by. Um, to, that you know, that's giving us this new tech. Uh, I, I'm so. I'm just. I'm really excited about the times we're living in. 
Um, and then, then getting back to others, other my own inspirations, um, mm-hmm. uh, Dr. Eric Willette, who's a sociologist here that works for the Defense uh, Studies Program at our Royal Military College, who I work with. I edited his book, Illuminations, mm. which um, takes a sort of a sociological and parapsychological look at uh, major UFO cases. Uh, and and sort of puts them through different lenses and, and comes up with some different sort of conclusions as to what what may uh, have occurred with those. Uh, I really I love your co-creation hypothesis. I think that's brilliant. Um, thank you. <laughs> yeah, you need to write. You need to write that up so then then the notes know. are being taken as we speak. Anyway, anybody else? Thank you very much. <laughs> You're welcome. You you deserve it. You you deserve the 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 you know the kudos for that. That's that's really interesting interesting way to look at the phenomena. Um, in the in the past, I would say, well, there's um, there's Paul Devereaux. Is he's not in the past, but there's, right, right. <laughs> there's Paul Devereaux stuff with the the Earthlights. Um, mm-hmm. I'm thinking as well, Hillary Evans. Yeah, uh, who, who is no longer with us, but I really, really loved his uh, comparative study of apparition experiences, which include UFO occupants or UFO pilots, along with ghosts and um, sort of Marian apparitions and and all sorts of other sort of things that can be considered apparitional. I actually think that Sasquatch and some of those can be put into that category as well. Uh, I know right. that they sometimes leave physical traces, uh, but so do UFOs, and so do occasionally ghosts. Uh, I think they're also potentially something that is physical and psychic. Uh, so he he had that interesting stuff. There's just there's so many. I don't want to leave anyone out. Um, Patrick Harper, uh, yeah. the demonic reality, yeah. uh, and, and my favorite, Jim Mosley. Really? Yeah. Why Jim? Because he just he I I just enjoyed his writing so much. I used to I used to read his saucer smear and just laugh and laugh and laugh. I did and too. I, just, I mean, I, I, just, I was a huge fan, and then I became kind of a friend of his, and that was really valuable to me because he was one of the nicest people ever, and eccentric as hell in a way that is endearing to just about everybody. I exactly. This is my favorite book. I'll, I. I shockingly close to the truth i just mm-hmm. i loved it i've i've read it more than once it just and i return to it because it just it makes me smile some of the anecdotes in there and and the way he used to write and i think that that helped ground me in in in, in because sometimes ufos just they they do they can become frightening just in contemplation because it's such a big big thing yeah. and he he had a way of taking this this amazing mystery and and keeping the mystery there but at the same time Making it fun, yeah. Like I, I really, I really appreciated that. Yeah, so, through yeah. the lens of the people that were interested in it, that that was his his tool for understanding what was going on, or 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 his handle on how he felt about it was the people that were involved in it. I think that that was that was paramount to him, which is a really yes. important um, lesson. I think I, I I would never think that anybody would say, well, Jim Mosley is probably one of the best thinkers in the. <laughs> You know, <laughs> not that he was stupid. He wasn't stupid at all. He's probably one of the smarter people in the in the in the field. But people don't often say that the a sociological view of the people that are studying it is just as important as important, or maybe more important than the actual thing that they're studying. 
I know we're kind of we're kind of turning it on in on itself, right? But I mean, that's what we need. We need this sort of different sort of thinking. Yeah. And and Jim Mosley, he not only did he have that, but he was just he was funny. Yeah. He was funny, and and there are just times when yeah, I just really needed to to read that and read his stuff. And I know he drove some people crazy. You know, usually the people that were really, really the experts who are married to their 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 dogma and their their hypotheses or whatever. But- oh, he was, a, he was a living trickster. I mean, if if you had something you were <laughs> you were that if that in, obsessed about, he would just keep poking you just to see what would happen with your obsession. It's like, dude, don't you realize that you're not listening to anybody but yourself? And he's doing this, and they just get more and more and more mad. Yeah, that's just that was brilliant. Yeah, brilliant um, <laughs> tricksters. But there you go, George Hansen. Yes, um, and that's that's something that uh, I, I definitely recommend is reading his book because it's just it takes these ideas of of being within thresholds and liminality and that and sort of and places these lenses and the trickster archetype onto the paranormal and you can start seeing that yes. He is really onto something. It's it's really it, it stirs up even more questions. But I did a sort of um, a study on ghosts. Just just take a break from UFOs and yes, uh, and, I, I, and, and I and I looked at sort of where do these apparitions appear? And they they and as as Hansen had pointed out, the liminal, the sort of borderline threshold sort of areas of you know ghosts appear in doorways, they appear in hallways, they appear in staircases, they mm-hmm. appear sort of you know. Um, and then uh, that's another thing I was looking at with UFOs as well. Um, they also appear in places of liminality, those crossroads and these sort of lonely country fields and places of this sort of nature that sort of lend themselves to the idea of in-between worlds, right? Right. So I, I thought Hanson's stuff was really brilliant. Uh, yeah, the, so. the, the map is a lot different than we would expect a map would, would be. And the map seems to be more emotional and symbolic than than geographical and uh, three-dimensional. It's definitely beyond three-dimensional, I think. And, uh, and, 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 and it, you do. It's like I said, the, the one tangible thing is, is the experience. This person that mm-hmm. has had this, this amazing, amazing thing happen, uh, and, and we're, we're losing all that data. Yeah, and that's the nexus and the gate. That's the only thread you have into that maze, you know, into, into, that, into that labyrinth is that person's experience. Well, I think that's what you were asking me in, in one of our, our talking point questions is about the intersections of like where, you know, what is the important intersections between all these sort of subjects? And, right. and I would say the human being, the <laughs> person. I mean, animals seemingly can be affected, too, but we can't right. really question them. We can't, you know, there's only we're limited with, with the animal world. But I mean, with the human world, they are the intersection. Mm-hmm. They're sort of at the center point and they're at the center of the universe. Yeah. around all this stuff that's happening. Yeah, and I think that some researchers are starting to realize that and are honoring that. I think Ryan Sprague wrote a book uh, somewhere in the skies where he basically just let the the, the uh he let the, the experiencers say experience say what they wanted and what had happened to them. Um Rosemary Ellen Guiley's just about to put out a book which is basically just a collection of people saying look like all they did was what happened to you. Mm-hmm. And they're free to say whatever the hell they want. And then afterwards, you know, Rosemary or her co-author will 
put in a um, a little commentary of a paragraph or two, but the the book belongs to the uh, to the witnesses as as uh, as well it should. And I think these are indications that we're stepping in the direction that you're talking about, where you listen to somebody rather than try to categorize them. Yes, I listen to the listen to the people, and then perhaps from there, then we can start you know, looking towards new models and new new questions to sort of apply to this this new knowledge that we're gaining from the experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, another person that I'm going to throw out there is Jenny Randall's, mm. um, particularly her book called Mind Monsters. Oh, that's one of my uh, favorites. That's in my top yes. five. I got to read it yes. again. Yes. That is another one that I would put out there as, as, as a, a very important work. Uh, the idea uh, that she came up with of the Oz factor, mm-hmm. uh, that seems to be the case with people in, in, that have these highly strange experiences. And, and the idea that people do go into even a slightly altered state, um, you know, which is maybe a semi-Oz factor. Yeah. But that, that seems to also be the case, I find... Um, across the board is that there's always people are doing something that's either mundane or they're not they're not necessarily out there looking for ufos but they're in that slightly sort of altered state when something wham happens yeah (laughs) yeah um anyone else i I would stick um greg little in there i keep wanting to have him on my show but i think he wants to talk about his indian mound stuff rather than his two uh, groundbreaking books one of them which was called people of the web i can't remember what the other one was i'm not i'm not really familiar with greg little you you, should send me okay yeah yeah. if you took um if you took uh let's see probably um take a psychologist and have them sit down with valet and keel at at a coffee table for about 10 hours and what they would come up with to me that's greg little um you know, it, well, I'm going to have to look him up then. You're going to have to have him on the show. Yes, I am. <laughs> I, I keep thinking, oh, I'm going to have him on the show. But it's, he's one of those people that intimidates me. But then again, it's uh, George Hansen intimidates me. But I want to have him on the show at some point. So that'll happen. But yeah, Greg Little, um, he worked with um, Brent Rains for many years, who still, Brent Rains actually still publishes an online version of their newsletter called Alternate Perceptions. And um, they were very much into exactly everything we're talking about now 20 years ago he was writing this kind of stuff and he was he to me he was the next step from uh uh away from keel i don't know about ahead of or up from or anything like that but the next step um in a progression i guess uh coming away from um uh keel and valet those are the only two people and maybe a little bit of um uh, the, the the jim brandon book the uh um a rebirth of pan uh, all that went into basically what Greg Little was talking about. So yeah, I think I think we should uh, uh, feature him here in the, in the next uh, during this year. Uh, I've got a lot of people coming up for this show. I mean, suddenly I've got tons of uh, guests coming up. So uh, you're, well, you're leading the charge here. Yay! <laughs> uh, <laughs> Rosemary, Rosemary's going to be on. Uh, Preston Dennett, who's a local uh, UFO and paranormal investigator, I'm going to have him on. I kind of want to talk to these people that have been in the trenches for a long time and say, look, this is where my thinking is going. Does this mesh with the way things are going? Or what do you think of this? Or, you know, what's wrong with the way I'm thinking of it? I'm always looking for that, too. So I interrupted your yeah, I interrupted your list. Oh, my list. The no, I I just I just always don't want to leave someone out that I'm 
No, you're always you know. going to leave somebody out. I mean, you can't really. Help I yeah, it. I feel. I know. I feel bad though. I feel bad. <laughs> You've I, already I, left I'm... tons of people out just by answering my question, so don't worry about uh-huh. it. <laughs> <laughs> but um, no, I, I think that's great, and 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 I love the show, and and it's good that you've got all these diverse sort of people coming in and and giving different ideas, and yeah, a lot of the stuff like with the, reframing the debate, a lot of that, you know. Um, was not necessarily brand new sort of things, but they were... I don't think most of it was. It's just stuff that people don't talk about normally. Yeah, and just building upon, you know, the work of these others that... There was all those citations as well and notes, but I think that it's good to sort of take a step back and, and, you know, look and see what was done that was really good. Mm -hmm. And and maybe if these people are, are available to talk to then, you know, we can learn something more. Or maybe they've changed their mind in the past 20 years or so. Maybe they've built on their own stuff. Yeah. Right? Or they have new sort of ideas that are percolating. You never know. Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah. That's really what I want to find out because you can't help but have some of these people be affected by some of these things that people are talking about that are either been forgotten or not paid much attention to. All these people I've mentioned, I, they're they're smart people. So I want to see what uh, what they're doing right now. Somebody actually, Josh Cutchins said, "I said, do you have any complaints about the show?" And he goes, "No, not really." And then he said, "Well, maybe one. It's kind of it's kind of an echo chamber." <laughs> 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 and he has a good point. So. Yeah. I wanted to um, expand a little bit and start talking to a few different people. Even though uh, I just posted a show with Josh. But um, mm-hmm. talk to these different people and interact, you know, my ideas with theirs and, and, and see what happens and see if they can teach me something. Because that's what I'm doing in all these shows. And I'm sure you do when you talk to anybody is what can I learn from this person? And if I'm still learning from the person and they're nice, they're going to be an instant friend or you hope they will be. Yes. So that that's another reason I want to have these shows. It's like, look, let's just sit down, talk about what the hell ever um, and Somebody today, asked, I went to a mead tasting today. I still have a headache. Um, oh, no. <laughs> yeah. I tried about 30 different meads. At the end, I was just taking one little sip and throwing them in the bucket because I just I was getting a headache while I was there. Oh, dear. Yeah. Because well, mead is kind of sweet, isn't it? It's yeah, it's like made a... out of honey. It's it's fermented honey. Yeah. So it's, it's I, I couldn't imagine 30, like, shots of mead. I yeah, the, I well, might that, throw that, up. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't get close to throwing up. I ate before I went there. I was eating while I was there, and I was taking. You know, they would give you basically, you know, what a a teaspoon or a tablespoon, actually more like a couple tablespoons. And I was drinking it all. And then after a while, I was like, if I keep drinking this, I can't do my show tonight. So, but the point is that one of the people there asked me. They said, "What is your show about?" And I said. It's about paranormal stuff. And they said, oh, you mean ghosts and UFOs and stuff? It's like, yeah, kind of. But half the time we're talking about other stuff, like what movie did you see that that day? And, you know, um, what's important in life? And uh, what do you find really funny about whatever? You know, that kind of stuff. So, I mean, the the, the last 20 minutes of uh, the interview with Diana was just talking about Star Wars. (laughs) Yeah. And yeah. I feel like I should have talked about all kinds of different things with her, but that just happened to be where the conversation went because we'd both just seen it for the first time that day. 
But that was really cool because there's some interesting synchronicities with that as well, and the uh, and that location. Mm-hmm. And she was saying where they where there was they they filmed that last Jedi scene, and yeah. and that was a very important sort of uh, religious site, you know, like you, going back a thousand years ago in Ireland, and then of course Ireland being yeah. rich in the, in the folklore and the mythology and the and the fairies, which. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I also I'm I'm very interested in the fairies and how the fairies are you know, going back to valet and then and Kutchen's work and that is very interesting to me how the fairies sort of factor into the whole UFO and and also with the death stuff. Because the fairies um one of the things I'm looking at is is these witches called the Benendante which were a marginalized group of people that would do these night battles in in the sky in the, the Middle Ages, and they were horribly persecuted by the uh, by the Vatican at the time by the Inquisition. But one of the things that they would do, aside from having these sort of shamanic trips, and in some cases they described them as actually sort of flying around the globe. Uh, they would go to these caves and and whatnot, and they would commune with these these other witches or these other beings and then they would fly around the planet Mm. um but uh, another thing that they would do is that they would go on these death processionals with this goddess and and these fairies and they really viewed the fairies as sort of uh messengers in between the worlds sort of thing so i'm kind of very interested in that and what is what i find fascinating is that in some of these locations where these witches were uh, making these processionals or these progresses and then they would do these sort of night battles uh are also places of modern day ufo experiences mm, yes yeah, um, so I, I find that really interesting. In, in fact, there's this one castle in Austria that I was looking at that um, you had. It was it factored in uh, quite a bit in the, the Inquisition and the trial of these marginalized people again that were accused of witchcraft. And then about 200 years later, you have um, these this strange sort of uh, situation of of what sounds like modern cattle mutilations. Um, where these villagers were reporting these their cattle and then other other animals, wild animals that were having their um, their blood drained from them and all this other weird stuff that they were uh, trying to put this on werewolves is what they were saying. But it sounds to me like if you were to put it in the modern sense, very much like the cattle mutilations we have today. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of making these sort of these connections between the past and history. And, and one of the things is, of course, the fairies. So and, and how the fairies are sort of they're in between sort of the other realm and the land of the dead and and how the UFOs maybe could be connected to that as well. It's yeah. funny you're, you're saying this and I just remembered that um, that uh, my, my late friend Mario Pozzaglini wrote i believe an introduction to a a uh, a classic book uh called Aradia have mm-hmm. you ever, you know that book yes okay i've never yeah. read the book now you can find them online for $65 for a cheap one um but yeah uh, uh i uh, mario and i think his mother uh, mm-hmm. who was actually from italy um mm-hmm. and told him about the this Ita- this italian um are we talking about the same subject here uh, it's very similar because I find, like, in this case, these witches that I were looking at, they're referred to as the Benendante, but they are part of a much larger group of witches um, that were uh, 
practitioners of, of a sort of um, a religion. In some cases, they were uh, worshipping like the, the Christian god as well as the goddess. Uh, but this goes back much, much farther into history okay. and throughout Central it Europe. It sounded like that. it, yeah. So, so it, is, it is, I think it's all sort of interconnected. So it is, yeah. Aradia, Aradia is, is like the, the um, sort of like a queen of witches. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, its accuracy is disputed by some, while others consider it a vital resource for studying an Italian and understanding Italian witch folklore of the 19th century. So yeah, this exactly. Yes. Um, it's become a foundational document of modern Wicca and neo-paganism. Leland claimed that the, the author, Charles Leland, claimed his witch informant, a fortune teller named Madalena, supplied him with the secret writings that he translated and combined with his research on Italian pagan tradition to create a gospel of pagan belief and practice. Here in the story of Goddess Aradia, who came to earth to champion oppressed peasants in their fight against the feudal overlords in the Catholic Church, are the ch- chants, prayers, spells, and rituals that have become centerpieces of contemporary pagan faiths. So, yes, and I think that's very interesting that he's got that documented. So it is it is somewhat similar, mm-hmm. um, but I'm going back to a much farther point in time, and I found it interesting because as I found this scholar um, through synchronicity uh, and through a mutual friend I have with uh, Diana, mm-hmm. and I was starting to consider that this testimony of uh, the Inquisition is when I found out she was going to the Vatican and doing something similar, but in a completely different sort of. Um, area of research but it's the same so it's it's i'm doing something similar but uh but but different but it goes back to the inquisition which they did actually keep very accurate records uh and they there's only one scholar i know that's really really looked took a very academic look at this marginalized group of people called the benendante and that's uh carlo ginsburg Mm -hmm. and uh and he is still lecturing about it. And I do find, like I said, I, I find a connection between what they were doing, going and doing these night battles with what they viewed as evil, which is sort of like the bad witches is what they, how they termed it. Mm-hmm. But in some cases, they were having these experiences that, again, transformed them as well. Uh, they... Um, they, the, some of the things that they were describing, you could absolutely put into more modern UFO terms, and and it's similar or very the same same sort of thing. Yeah. And they too, they they too were having like they their their cosmology, their whole worldview would would change. There was one fellow by the name of Minocchio that he wrote about that had these sorts of strange experiences, and then just started. He was just a peasant man, and he he was a miller, and he started telling everybody about it and and you know how society is wrong and how we're living is wrong and how the the the, just the way people are are just wrong and of course this got back to the church and they didn't like this so they had to have a talk with him but it's interesting how these people transformed into and in some ways to such a degree knowing that they could be punished or they could suffer and they still they they wouldn't recant this so I, I find that sort of interesting as well. And how these sort of um, transformative experiences are occasionally, are, well, more often than not, initiated by anomalous lights. Whether mm. they are small light balls or whether they're that, that are viewed more ghostly or in, in sort of haunted house locations or these larger displays of lights that occasionally, um, you know, will, will eventually morph out into a spaceship or something of that nature. Yeah, there's a leap motif of... Um of this <laughs> flying light ball phenomena that that it, it occurs throughout history. I 
it might occur throughout cultures. I'm pretty sure it does. I believe it does. Meaning, I think it's meaning the, non-Western as well. Yes, and that seems to be the one of the one ties that ties it all in together is these these light balls, mm-hmm. and then everything else seems to be content that is being put in, and it could be based in culture or personal perceptions or whatever. It's it's very subjective, but the light balls themselves they are described similarly. Mm-hmm. Whether they're the small little ones um, or the, the much larger ones, which are considered plasma by, by some of the scientists that have looked into these these things. They're like a, some sort of strange plasma. Yeah, well, would you think that this is a, a co-creation, an inner, a recursive with the environment thing where somebody you know somebody is um, receiving something, they're ready to receive something, and, and they happen to be in the... In the uh, place with their, where they're going to do that, and the, the the physical or whatever visual, excuse me, manifestation of this, um, I'm I'm speaking BS now, but the visual manifestation of this uh, exchange <laughs> yeah. or this this liminal time is a disembodied, uh, apparently intelligent uh, acting ball of light. Yes, I do think so. I think it's it's it initiates a communication of some sort. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm I'm guessing. I'm I'm like you. I'm I have no sort of uh, notion other than strange things happen to people uh, all across the world, and they have since you know uh, we know since human history yeah. uh, has been recorded in some fashion. Um, but I do think that the light balls initiate some form of information exchange. So do you How's think? That? That, yeah. That that makes total sense. Well, the thing is, my personality, which you must know by now, is as soon as I think I hear something that makes sense, I try to deconstruct mm-hmm. it because I want to know if that's, you know, the only possibility. And of course, we know it's not. So the the my question was, you know, do you, do you think that the they're a result of what's going on, or, or there's are they the little the little signposts that uh, where the this knowledge or message or whatever you want to say comes from i i'm i'm not sure that the that a ball of light is uh, is uh, is the source of it um it might be something else it's just the balls of light seem to happen when that like um if if, if there's a fire going you'll see smoke flo- you know floating around and it's not you know it's not yes. the, the smoke isn't causing the fire um but the, it's a mistake to think that the, there's a smoke a thing of smoke floating above somewhere where you can't see the fire that you you know what i'm getting at well yeah the smoke's going to get your attention yeah. right so the the smoke is 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 imparting some sort of information on you that there's a fire, so you better get out. <laughs> I mean, there is. I guess so. It's a bad analogy. What what I'm trying to get at is, I'm I've got this problem with locking it into a ball of light comes and it has some consciousness ah, in it the, that the, is that is dumping something into your brain when it's there. You know what yes, I mean? Yes. Yes. Okay. I yeah. I know exactly what you mean. Is it possible that these plasma have some sort? Are they sentient and they have some sort of information to impart? Maybe. Yeah. I don't know. But they seem to, they they do they seem, seem to, to appear. <laughs> they seem to show up uh, throughout time and throughout cultures. Mm-hmm. Where you know spaceships, not always. You know, I I used to think that sometimes people uh, in in past would uh, misinterpret things, and maybe maybe they were seeing a spaceship, but they were just describing it from their their what they were 
thinking and and that it was actually a spaceship. Now I think no. I think when people describe dragons flying through the air, they were seeing dragons flying through the air. That's mm-hmm. how I've. The, the, but I, I have changed my mind a few times over things like I, as I evolve as a person, I realize the, the less I know. But um, <laughs> but I, I, I've changed my mind. I've sort of flip flopped on a few things. I used to be more into the ETH, and now not so much. Yeah, well, I've heard, I was too. I was that was my total idea of it until probably sometime in the early to mid nineties when I started really reflecting on uh, what other people had found, what other people were saying besides a Donald Kehoe or, or, you know, or the MUFON people or the Lorenzens or something like that, um, where somebody was saying, let's really look at this. Let's think about it. Let's not make a, uh, an assumption about what's going on. And that had been going on through various thinkers since the 50s and especially 60s and 70s as a renaissance of that. And I think there's another one happening now. Yeah, and that's really cool. It's it's exciting to be uh, uh, watching what's going on with the with the UFO research now. Yeah, yeah. yeah it, I think it, I'm I think I'm going to go underground though for a little bit. I think I'm going to just sort of stay quiet and. and yeah, just... you said you were not really thinking about going on any of their sh- other shows, and then I, I I said you want to be on mine. You say, well, okay, and I. I f- I I felt very very uh, proud and special that you said you would come on my show. Talk <laughs> a little bit. I didn't say I didn't say well okay. Oh. No, I'm I'm ha- I'm really happy to talk to you. You know that. You know that. We get I along know. so well. Yes. Right? Yeah. Like g- g- you and and Robert and I like we just had the best time and we were like talking about all these really deep things like you know, like we'd been hanging out for twenty years together or something. It was it was really amazing. Yeah, I, I, we're here up in Toronto. Yeah, yeah. I, you guys got to come out here at some point, and then we can hang out. Well, you like it here. I do. I really do. I love L.A. Why do you I, love L.A. so much? Most people can't stand it. Well, you know what? I feel I find <laughs> the same thing. People all over Canada have the same idea. The same, not the same, but have a prejudice about Toronto in the same way that people have a prejudice about Los Angeles. I know, and I love Toronto too. Like, don't get it's just Toronto is is cold, right? It's, yes, it's, it's, it's very cold most of the year. Yeah, where Los Angeles is not, and then you have the beautiful Pacific Ocean, and you've got lots of really interesting eclectic people, and that that drive up the Pacific Coast Highway is just it's amazing. It yeah. really is. Well, you got to come out like, and visit, and I'll, we'll go up to Santa Barbara, and we'll, we'll give you a uh, get you a um, paraglider ride at the beach. Yeah. I'm in. Okay. Totally. Totally. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but I, I just, I, I find it a fun, magical sort of place. And, uh, you know, I, I didn't spend enough time there and I would like to explore it more. So I, I, I don't know. I'm just, I, I, I try to, when I, where I go anywhere, I try to find the, the fun and the magic in any city, but I really enjoy LA. And of course, I and I was a huge fan of the Doors growing up. So of course, I, I had to go to outside Jim Morrison's house. And uh, which one? The the one on the um oh what, what do you call Canyon? Laurel Canyon. Yeah, I have to do the drive up Laurel Canyon, which is kind of scary but cool and fun. And and uh, and going to the country store and I had to buy a pack of gum there because what well, was Jim Morrison's store, right? So. Mm-hmm. I needed to do that and walk it's along Venice there. Beach. Yes, 
Yes, and and they have all the photos there of all the the rock stars that hung out, and yeah, that would have been a really cool scene to go back in time, yeah, and just hang out there, you know, yeah, yeah. You have no idea, you know. I've when that was going on, I was a baby or extremely mm-hmm. young, so you know, all, all I know was that what things seemed like or felt like are the music I would hear on the radio. But my parents were, you know, my parents were my parents. They weren't list. They weren't part of that movement, but they, I, I could listen to that kind of stuff coming through on the radio. And then I had friends whose parents kind of were, um, cause they were a little younger than me. And I, I would get like, um, the parents would like drive us somewhere and they'd, they'd play what a, a door song. And they would explain to me what was going on in the song. So I could understand cause it was important to them. So I got a little mm-hmm. taste of, you know, maybe what what was going on then and what people thought, how people really thought. Because you get a, if you live through it, it's a completely different than than hearing about it or rem- even reminiscing about it. So, you know, my, my time was like, you know, the uh, punk and new wave stuff. So mm-hmm. that's that's the part I imprinted on, you know. So it's weird to be able to, to talk to somebody from an era and then ask them what it was like. Although there's no way you're going to know unless you live through it. So, But you can get a little tiny bit of a taste of it by going to these places that haven't really changed that much. And there are a few of them around Los Angeles, just just like there are anywhere. You think Los Angeles is all, you know, they just t- knock things down. But some of the history still sits around here, and it's it's not that hard to find if you look a little bit. Yeah, and I, I would like to explore it more. And it's it's always fun too when when you have company come from a different city and then you can kind of see through the the tourist sort of eyes and the you know you you can find that bit of magic that you might forget because you're living there all the time right so yeah definitely we should we should have a sort of a, a get together in L A. Uh, Jeff listener Jeff says I like that she's going underground when she's ready to pop back up she'll be on this show. i will i will (laughs) i just i need to i need to go underground um just so that i can concentrate on sort of more experiments that i want to do without getting too much too much other people's ideas and stuff yeah exactly my head and i i have to kind of concentrate on that so i think it's better i just sort of lay low for a bit with this and then yeah and then i definitely will come back I was, uh, I, I think Diana talked about this a little bit on the show, but I've talked about it in other shows too um, with some of the other guests, and the 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 ancient value of silence, and it has nothing to do with I know something you don't or I'm trying to keep a secret. It's because if you can hermetically cover what you're doing so that there's you you're not getting distracted or uh, influenced by anything. The, mm-hmm. the results are going to be a lot more fruitful, meaningful to you, and maybe even meaningful to other people once you get through this. So I, I think there's a, a great value in doing a lot of this work quietly, um, maybe even in secret, but mostly in secret, and not talk about it till you're done. And then when you're yes. done, you tell everybody what you did. But by the time you tell everybody what you did, you've already moved on and you're doing other stuff. Um, exactly. And to move very quickly like that, just like the, you know, that's why I have that T-shirt that says uh, uh, mimic the obliqueness of the subject with a little UFO on top of it. Which is brilliant. Yeah. And it's and it's true. You have to mimic the, uh, you have to meet the phenomena on its own terms. Yeah, which is really hard to do unless you do it in kind of the way that you are, where you you fool your own self and you fool the normal course of action that somebody would have. 
so that yes. it's it's not it's because the the way that things are normally done are are, are so ripe for uh, for bleed through from 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 other uh, sources and from influences and your emotions and what other people thinking and all that. That's why the that's why the old magicians used to do all this stuff and it, it, a lot of it was solitary work. It had to be. Otherwise, it has it to be. Yeah. Otherwise, it wouldn't. One, it wouldn't work the way it's supposed to work because it's supposed to work on an in, individual psyche. Um, but two, it's it's designed. It's designed that way. It's it's it has to be done. In, it has to be done quietly and, in a lot of cases, um, uh, in a, in a solitary way. Uh, you can't do that every time with UFO study. But um, I think you can work on your own mind. I'm, I'm rambling now. No, it's true. It's 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 actually you're you're very correct. You have to be working in secret or in stealth mode, so to speak, when you're working on these things. Uh, one of the things too, when we did the group uh, work, was we decided very early on um, UFO wasn't going to be used at all. We were, ah, just referring, yeah. we were just referring to it as the phenomena. And the thing you have to understand as well is that even when you elect to have these experiences or you sort of are provoking or you're initiating or you're staring sort of into the abyss you you have to realize it is still be spontaneous things will happen when you don't expect them to they often have a very strange trickster like uh effect mm-hmm. uh and and, and it's, it's almost like there's this great big cosmic joke that's happening so you have to be pre- you have to be prepared for that too that there will still be that spontaneous thing and it's not like you can um when you're doing these magical things it's not like you can control them per se in that you're going to get the exact outcome you want yeah or the the outcome that you expect you're going to get but you will get some sort of an outcome yeah so you have to be you have to be prepared for that as well Right. You have to be able to, it, I think this is what you were talking about earlier, to be um, uh, not so emotional, have kind of a, a Zen detachment to it. Uh, it's a very hard thing to be vitally interested in something, yet not vitally interested in what's going on at the moment or what the outcome will be. Yes. What I would do and what I did with a separate experiment, which involved creating synchronicities between myself and, uh, and, and another researcher that I hadn't met at the time, um, I, I used techniques where I would um, sort of put myself, it was almost like an, an act, like acting. So I was acting out a situation where I was uh, talking to this person on a daily basis. I'd never met them. Um, but I had, I had their photo up and I, and I was talking to them about UFO stuff and I managed to create some synchronicities, which later they were able to tell me, yes, these synchronicities occurred. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I was able to get some sort of confirmation from that. This was a complete act of magic. Um, but again, it's, it's like, it is, there is a spontaneous aspect of creating synchronicity that Hmm. you have to accept is, you know, it's going to happen. Yeah. You can't force it. So one of the techniques I would use is because you were speaking about retrocausality is is to uh, think about the experience as something that has already occurred. So it becomes a memory in your own mind. Mm-hmm. So the the UFO experience is now a memory; it has already happened. You already know it's happened, and you're sort of tricking at your subconscious to accept that this is true. 
that you've shifted that portion of reality for yourself. But mm -hmm. at the same time, you have to be able to, when you're noting these things in your diary and your, your experiments that you're doing with the phenomena, you have to be at least in that mindset that you can detach a bit from it. Yeah, don't because give it, it. Because it, if you're too fully immersed into the madness, you're not, you're not going to come back. Yeah. Does that make sense? It, it totally makes sense. Don't give in to the wonder. Not not fully. You have to a little bit because you have to meet it on its own terms. That's true. You have to accept that it's there, but you don't have to go, oh, my God, you know. But you don't. You also don't have to accept negativity. If That's I'm true. authorized, If I'm authorizing this sort of experience because I want to study it and I don't know what it is, I, I still can quite verbalize out loud that I, I, I don't want things to be too freaky. I, I don't want to, to be frightened. I don't want to be traumatized. Right, right. You know, if, if you're a bad alien, go home. Yeah, exactly. Because it's this is not, you know, we're not on this for a thrill ride or go see a horror movie. We're here no. to learn something. If you're, if, you're yes. here, if you're here to get your jollies, you're going to go crazy. Yes. You know, so exactly. it, take, it, takes a, it takes a certain mindset. I don't know if I have it, but uh, many people I know do. And this is try, what I try to push on people when they're when they kind of ask, you know, um, what do you think UFO studies should do? And it, I think it's one of not even just for a magical working or for any kind of specific study, but just some sort of a extremely interested, but complete, but um, as, as detached as you can possibly be. So that um, your your mind stays open and, and the clarity is still there instead of because if you give into that your your focus will suddenly close up to whatever it is that's fascinating you. There's also the 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 need for humility to be humble before oh, yeah. it. I think yeah. I I try to live myself and from my own spiritual practices in in a state of being living in gratitude. So I think ego. Ego can harm the, the, the situation. We see this often with these sort of more celebrity type UFO people where they may have had some very real experiences, but then they gain this celebrity and the ego builds and they have to feed that. So then they start confabulating more and, 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 yeah. and hoaxing starts happening and that sort of thing. I think if you really want that sort of pure experience and you're just coming at it as trying to understand maybe develop better questions because I don't think I will ever answer anything. Maybe, maybe on a personal level, I might a little bit, but on the grander scheme of things, I highly doubt it. But I do, I would like to have a better question. I, I, yeah. I would like to add yeah. a little bit if I can, that, that might help maybe a greater mind come up with something. So, you know, yeah. you're refining, um, you're continually refining the question as, as time goes on. But yeah, I, that's another thing that I think is very important that you brought up. You're contributing to a greater understanding or you're, you're, you know, you're just one kind of, um, cog in the wheel or brick in the wall or whatever you want to call it of, of this movement towards a little better understanding and being able to, uh, meet the phenomenon or uh, anything that's outside of our our um our uh, current uh, paradigms on its own terms or a little bit more on its own terms and that's, yes that's uh that that that's also hard for some people to accept that they're you know they're you're not that important but you're you're not that important at all but your work and your thought and your interaction with people is very important Yes, and I think that that and it's important as well not to tie your ego into the phenomena yeah. Yeah, that's because uh, that that can problem. have the very disastrous results. Yeah, you end up with um, MUFON. Yes. 
Yes, and that that has that has created you know I don't I don't want to bash Mufon too much, but on the same token, it well, has caused a lot of issues and problems for people. Yeah, and the greater part of of, of uh, UFO conventions and the commodification of it and all that stuff. Um, yeah, it doesn't really advance our, our knowledge in any way. Um, no, it's porno. That's just why I call it that. UFO porn. Yeah. <laughs> Miguel reminded me. I don't. I don't know why I didn't remember this. Did you, did you ever see that video on um, uh, on YouTube? He says, "Type in UFO porno." So I did, and it's just it, it's a series of a bunch of different videos of a bunch of aliens um, dry humping each other, and somebody just oh. with, yeah with with like <laughs> disco music, and somebody with a heavy accent just saying UFO porno over and over and over again. <laughs> So Can you get I, like a million hits? Yeah, probably. What I want to do is I, I don't want to get people mad at me, but every time somebody posts a picture or a video, I just want to put that up on online as a as a as a reaction to it. Bunch of aliens dry humping each other with somebody yelling <laughs> UFO porno in the background. Oh my god, that would be too funny. <laughs> that would be just too funny. <laughs> Do it. <laughs> okay. Next time I see, look at this great video I just found. You have a porno. Yeah. <laughs> well, this gets back to like the Jim Mosley thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like, I mean, you, you, a, a valuable lesson from Jim. Yeah, you gotta. Sometimes you gotta just look at this stuff and 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 laugh. Not not at the witnesses. Not at ridiculing people, but the absurdity of the phenomena lends itself to comedy. Yeah. Oh, of course it does. You have you, you. Very early on, I realized from the people I talked to and my basic attitude, my personality, you have to laugh at this crap. Wait. <laughs> anyway, that's what it sounds like. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> the gal found this, huh? <laughs> yeah. Well, I'd seen it before, but I forgot. You know, I forgot about it. Actually, the guy who see UFO, he says, UFO, UFO porno, which is, uh, which oh, is even wow. better. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But yeah, for the, for the most part, when I see a lot of people talking about this stuff or postings, like, look at this picture, look at this latest thing. Um, you know, did you hear what Corey Good say? UFO porno. That's the first thing I think. And, and maybe to my detriment, but I ignore most of it. Yeah. I don't even but want to take the time to make fun of it. Usually, I'm just like, yeah, well, whatever. But that's funny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> In a very juvenile way, it's very funny. Yeah, well, but, a lot uh, of the UFO thing is very juvenile, which is why it's funny. And 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 um, it, it I, is, and 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 Jim recognized that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, 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 Beavis and Butthead should have been UFO researchers. I think they'd have been perfect. I think so too. <laughs> <laughs> Billy Myers, cool. <laughs> yeah. Oh gosh, yeah. Well, they would they would have they would have come up with some pretty interesting questions, right? For the, for the UFO people. So. Uh, we are at eight oh one, so we're we're at two hours. Uh, I did not do an introduction for you. I didn't say anything about your website. Could you please do that now, if you want to? And, sure. And well, I like to. I like to be mysterious, though, too. Okay. You well, can, go ahead and be mysterious. Google me. Yeah. I mean, if you want, if people want to find out what I'm up to, I do have a website, which is uh, Susan uh, Saint S T 
claire.com and I, I do, there's links in there to places that I contribute to and you can find me on Facebook or, you know, that, that sort of thing. I, I have the UFO reframing, uh, the debate, the chapter in there that I wrote, which mm-hmm. concentrates on the parapsychological lenses as a tool to look at UFO cases. Um, and, uh, and yeah, like, I'm always interested in hearing from people who have had um, experiences with high strangeness. Uh, and in particularly now I'm focusing more at like with, uh, as Joshua is with on fairies yep. uh, and, and witches. Right. As, as, and, and, and death as, as, as a, as a sort of a lens towards looking at um, UFO experience. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and this is a temporary lens. It's not something you'll be doing in, in five years, probably. Or you might be, who well, knows? I may be or I may not be. Um. <laughs> you mine something for as long as it's useful, I believe. Yes. Yeah. And be w- yes. willing to, you know, oh, good, you're getting the sirens. Good. It's a real Radio Mysterioso show. Awesome. <laughs> uh, and you get to pick the outro music. What do you want to hear? I do. Well, I've been, I've been listening to a lot of the 80s since we were talking about the 80s. I think I've, I posted up some um, uh, Dead Can Dance. But uh, I think that I will pick... Um, Let's see. Uh, do you have uh, Jeff Buckley and uh, and Elizabeth Fraser? I can Elizabeth, find it. Elizabeth Fraser Fraser from the Cocteau Twins, and I think I'd like to pick uh, all flowers in time will bend towards the sun. Is that it? <laughs> yeah. Is that it? Okay. Yes. Excellent.
farther from me with your face in my way. 